0: It's good to have you in worship today. Throughout many years of ministry, it's been my observation that there are some people who embody the word pastor. I'm going to introduce you today to such a man. Greg Taylor and I have known each other for many years. He is a pastor to his own congregation as well as a pastor to many pastors. It's been my pleasure to have been engaged in ministry with him for a long time. Greg fills a number of roles in our community. First of all, he has a family just like I have, and. Um, has two kids, like Leslie and I have, with a son that's way taller than he is. He's the lead pastor at First Christian Church Clinton, just up the road. He often fills in for me or acts as a co-host. We're doing our direct line show each and every Wednesday evening. He's the named advisor of First Christian Church Decatur. Namely, the leadership team of the church here, we often ask for outside counsel, outside voices to come in and speak to situations that we need just a different set of eyes on. Greg's one of those guys who often comes in and helps us with some discerning words of wisdom, some God's thoughts, if you will. And Greg fills that role in a very, very capable way. Today though, he's gonna be God's man bringing God's thoughts to the entire congregation. And so it's my pleasure to welcome Greg Taylor to the pulpit today. So with that, uh, Greg, it's great to see your family here, but would you come and, um, would you all welcome him to this present?
1: Thank you, man. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it is an honor to be here, and uh, man, I love your church. I think sometimes when you are a part of a church, you, you lose perspective on how special of a place it really is and this is an incredibly special church. I hope you know that. I hope you know how blessed you are by your leadership and your staff. Wayne has been a friend for many years, as he said, and uh, I went through a really dark time, really difficult time in ministry last year, Uh, the the, the most difficult time I've ever experienced. And one of the first people I heard from and probably one of the most helpful people that I heard from was Wayne. So Wayne, thank you very much. It's good to have my girls here, Marla, my wife, Jordan, my daughter. They were in a uh, downpour coming in so I won't have them stand up, but thank you very much. Many of you were in that same downpour, but it is a blessing to be here today. I want to take you back to 1987. 1987, Marla and I were getting ready to start college at the time, at Lincoln Christian College. Now it's Lincoln Christian University. And the next year, 1988, would be a presidential election year, very much like we're in a presidential election year. And the big name in 1987 on the side at that point was a senator from Colorado by the name of Gary Hart. Anybody remember Senator Gary Hart from Colorado? And people loved him, and he seemed adorable, and he was a college professor, and a lot of people really thought he's the answer for the Democrats in 1988. But there was a problem that began to develop. There was all of this speculation going around that he was involved in an extramarital affair, And so he called a press conference, and he looked the media members in the eye, and he said, I dare you to try to find me involved in this extramarital affair. And they did. (laughs) That day, photos started to surface. And I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, why would anyone do something like that? And I think the answer is probably pride. Pride probably got the best of him. I think this morning of um, what's taking place in South Carolina where the third largest church in America, New Spring Church, is going through uh, their first Sunday uh, without their senior pastor, their founder, Perry Noble. He was fired last week. Um, The reasons that were given were many, his posture toward his marriage, misuse of alcohol. You, You could find all the sort of details if you wanted to, but I found very striking this statement from the official release from their executive pastor. It said, after months of confrontation, after months of conversations, Perry chose not to properly address these issues and did not take the necessary steps toward correcting them. And as such, he's no longer qualified, as outlined in 1 Timothy 3 in the church bylaws, to continue at New Spring Church. And as I read that statement, one word really comes to mind. It's that word, pride. Now, I didn't come here today to beat up on a former senator from Colorado or an unemployed senior minister from South Carolina. I came here today because you and I, are just as at risk if we don't take seriously this issue of pride. In the Bible, in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, there's one of those sentence proverbs that we should memorize, that we should underline, that we should commit to memory, that we should be able to just rattle off like that. It's so important that New Testament authors James and Peter quote this proverb. Paul references this proverb. It's Proverbs three thirty-four. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Will you say that with me together? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One more time. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is a big deal. Um, Pride can destroy us. Pride can lead us to seek recognition of ourselves, to exalt ourselves above others. Pride can allow us to treat others very unfairly. Pride can cause us to accept zero responsibility, no responsibility for wrongdoing. Pride creates concern only with ourselves and it leaves us oblivious to the needs of others. Pride really is a pretty big deal and I don't want you to take my word for it I want to go to the word this morning and show you an account where pride is really uh, personified up close and personal grab your bibles if you will and turn to the book of second Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter number 26. There are six books in the Old Testament that detail the, the rise and the fall into exile of Israel. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. And we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible. And I'm just really feeling led to say, if you don't have a Bible, make that pew Bible your pew Bible. Wayne, you don't mind, do you? Not at all. I'll pay for it. Okay. Yeah. Take it home. Read it. Be involved in it. Um, we want you to be in the Word, not just today, but every day. day. Second Chronicles chapter 26. My big idea this morning, my point that I want you to, to take with you when, when we leave this morning is this. Pride can and will destroy us spiritually if we allow it to grow and to blossom Pride can and will destroy us spiritually if we allow it to grow and to blossom. Now, I need to give you some context in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Israel's high mark, the time when Israel was its greatest, was during the reign of two kings, David And his son Solomon. And if you've been around the Bible very much, you've probably heard heard accounts of King David and accounts of King Solomon. But during the end of David's reign and the beginning years of Solomon's reign, Israel really reached its peak. They were a a world power to be reckoned with. Their their territory expanded to, to unknown sites. It was really an incredible time to be part of the people of God. But as you read through the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll find that more times than not, these men that, that were raised up to serve as kings of Israel and Judah, they had a division that took place. More times than not, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. More times than not, they were not really good kings. And it was kind of a depressing time. It was kind of a discouraging time to be part of the nations of Israel or Judah. There were worldwide powers that that would oppress lands and and overrun peoples. nations like Assyria and later the Babylonians. And as this young man Uzziah we're going to study today comes to power, the Assyrians are a big deal worldwide. The Assyrians would eventually overrun the northern kingdom of Israel just a couple decades following our account this morning. And so I want us to look at the life of King Uzziah of Judah and see what we can learn from this ancient text. 2 Chronicles 26 beginning with verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Now, i got to stop right there. I have a 16 year old boy that lives at my house and he's tall but he's not ready to be king. He's not ready to be in charge. Uzziah 16 years old when he becomes king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father Amaziah had done he sought god during the days of zechariah he was a priest who instructed him in the fear of god and as long as he sought the lord god gave him success that's that's kind of a formula isn't it Aren't we kind of formula people? We, we want formulas. If you were to go to a dietician and you were to say, I've got this 20 pounds or this 25 pounds and, and, and I want to use it, they would not probably tell you to go home and meditate that, about that more than likely. They would say, well, let's put an action plan together. Let's put a formula together. They they might say stop eating triple cheeseburgers and supersized fries and 44 ounces of Mountain Dew and instead transition maybe to to grilled chicken or my favorite, vegetables and fruit and ice water and and really get out and start exercising, get on your bike, go for a run, go for a walk. They'd give you a formula. And for the vast majority of people, if you put that formula into place, you're probably going to lose weight spiritually speaking if you went to to pastor Wayne or one of the other pastors and you just said you know I'm just not in the relationship with the Lord that I need to be I'm not where I was 10 years ago I'm not where I was 10 weeks ago help me out they would probably sit down with you and say well are you in the word every day well no I'm not well be in the word well are you praying every day well no I'm really not well pray are you involved in regular worship? Well, maybe it's more irregular. Be in worship every day. You get a formula put into place, and more than likely, that formula is going to allow you to grow spiritually. This is a formula here that worked for Uzziah. Look at that formula seek the Lord, listen, and learn from a mentor. His mentor was Zechariah the priest, and live in fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord doesn't mean I got to go hide behind the drum set because I'm afraid. It's an awesome reverence. It's holding your hand up so anyone can see you proclaim Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in his love. That's the life of this young King Uzziah, seeking the Lord, learning from a mentor who's older and wiser and fearing the Lord. Well, how did it work? Well, the text tells us how it worked. First of all, King Uzziah finds great success in war, and that leads to significant territory expansion. And that might not seem like a big deal for God's people, Judah, big deal. There, there'd been a lot of running, there'd been a lot of fear taking place, and under Uzziah's reign, they're beginning to expand again. Look at our text. It says, Uzziah went to war against the Philistines and he broke down the walls of Gath and Jebna and Ashdod. He then rebuilt the towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal and against the Meonites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he'd become very powerful. You read that text, you might think they're talking about Solomon. You might think they're talking about David, but this is King Uzziah. Why is that playing out? It's right there in verse 7. God helped Uzziah. The formula is working. But it's not just at war that Uzziah is finding success. Uzziah finds great success at home as well, domestically. Through building projects and agricultural development, Judah finds itself finally able to trade. Look at verse 9. It says, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness, and he dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills. And in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile land for Uzziah loved the soil. Unlike many of the kings that are chronicled in the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Uzziah is not just all about war. He understands he needs to take care of business at home as well, economically. Uzziah really seems to thrive. Verse 10 says that Uzziah loved the soil. Now we could rally around a presidential candidate like that, couldn't we? Someone that's really good at home, and someone that's really good in foreign policy and someone that's living in the fear of the Lord and seeking the Lord and I'd put his sign in my yard. I'm probably not putting any other signs in my yard this year, but I'd put a sign for that person in my yard, quite honestly. But Uzziah's not done. Uzziah also is finding great success in building up the military. Very important for national security during the mid-700s. The text reads as such. Uzziah, verse 11, had a well-trained army, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers. As mustered by Giel the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields and spears and helmets, coats of armor, bows and slingshots for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices, invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. Uzziah has developed a military to be reckoned with, and it's even chronicled how successful King Uzziah was in some other ancient secular text of the day. If you were to look up an Assyrian text of the day under the reign of, here's a great name for you, Tiglath-Pileser III, you would find that King Uzziah of Judah is mentioned. And so, What's the point in all of this? What's the point in these first 15 verses? It's really pretty simple. Everything King Uzziah touches seemingly turns to gold. Uzziah is seeking the Lord, and the Lord is blessing the king. And i got to be honest with you. I wish I could stop right now. I wish I could say amen. We could sing a final song, and we could beat the Lutherans to Panera Bread. I really wish we could pull that off this morning, Okay. (laughs) But sadly, the the text doesn't stop. So we better not stop. Look look at the end of verse 15 in your Bible. It says, Uzziah's fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Is my Bible right? Is your your Bible right? He was greatly helped until he became powerful. Powerful? Shouldn't it say he was greatly helped because he became powerful? No. I think the, the translation got it correct. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. Verse 16, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. After he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, do you all burn a lot of incense during worship here? You probably don't, right? We don't burn a lot of incense during worship up at Clinton. There probably are churches today that do that. I don't understand that necessarily, but this is what you need to understand. 750, 740 BC, major part of worship for God's people involved the burning of incense, and it wasn't like you go get the six-year-old girl in the cute little dress and you bring her up with the, 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 you know, the, the lighter and say, you, you burn the incense. That was the job of the priest. In fact, if you want to read more about it, you can go to places like Exodus chapter 30 and uh, Numbers chapter 18. It's very specific that only the priest can burn the incense at the altar of incense. Why would Uzziah do such a thing? I don't know. All I know is that his pride got the best of him, and it led to his downfall. Sometimes when we read texts in the books of the Kings or the Chronicles, we read about people that were really successful in the name of the Lord, and it's kind of two thumbs up, and they're few and far between, but you've got the Hezekiahs, you've got the Josiahs, and then you read about kings, and they're kind of two thumbs down. They really messed it up. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In our text today, we're getting a little bit of both. Uzziah's downfall is imminent. Verse 17 says that, "'Azariah the priest,' with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed Uzziah in and they confronted the king and they said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Two things to take away from these two verses of Scripture. One, props to Azariah and the other priests for being willing to stand up to the most powerful person in the land and say, wrong is wrong. God's word is God's word. Um, are, Are we willing to do that today? Are you willing to do that today? But secondly, right here, Uzziah, he has a way out. He's been rebuked, rightfully so, And he has the opportunity to still redeem the day. He has an opportunity to still redeem his kingdom. Let's see what happens. Verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. If you have your Bible and you underline, underline that word angry. We can't talk about pride without talking about anger. If you have a pew Bible, go ahead and underline anger as well. It'll help the next person that reads it. Um, While Uzziah was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Tough times for the king. Just like that, a really good king who accomplished much in the name of the Lord, living in the fear of the Lord, finds himself beyond the point. Of no return. And friends, I say this with all humility this morning. If we allow pride to be out of control, if we add anger into that mix, we can find ourselves reaching that threshold as well. Verse 20. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at Uzziah, they saw that the king had leprosy on his forehead. And so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah, catch this, had leprosy until the day he died. And he lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried Near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings for the people said he had leprosy. You know, every time we sin, every time we miss the mark, there's consequences. Now, there's forgiveness if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That didn't take that to the bank. But there's always consequences. David tasted consequences. Solomon tasted consequences. Perry Noble is going to taste some consequences. And King Uzziah is gonna taste these consequences for the rest of his life. What are they? He had leprosy for the rest of his life. That, That doesn't mean a lot to us in 2016. In 742 BC, that means your life was done. You weren't getting coffee with your friends. You weren't hanging out for corporate worship. You were excluded. Second, he was forced to live in separation. Third, he could not even be buried in the tombs of the kings, even some of the crummiest of crummy kings listed in the kings and the chronicles were buried in the tombs of the kings, not Uzziah. Even in death, even in burial, he tasted separation. And I read this text, and I'm reminded, this is tragic. What a tragedy. What an awful reminder of the powerful problem of pride. Pride. And so let me ask you anyone here have a pride problem? Anyone here have an anger problem? I do. I have. I do. And so, with a text like this, it's not so much beat up on the guy from 2,700 years ago, it's where do we go from here? I just wrapped up a week of church camp. I think it was my 17th consecutive summer working with the fifth and sixth graders during Junior Main 2 camp at Little Galley. 129 fifth and sixth graders, and I know that probably sounds awful. It's awesome. Most of the time, but uh, best part of it, 34 made decisions to be followers of Jesus Christ. 20 were baptized that Friday, July 1, in the pool up at Little Galilee. It was awesome. But in the process of all that, I started thinking back to the very first week. That I was a dean way back in, I think, 1993. And um, I had a co dean, and his name was Andy. We were fellow ministers in the area. Great, great guy. And um, this morning, Andy woke up where he will wake up every morning for the next 20 years federal prison on the East Coast. And you think, how, how does a minister end up in federal prison? Well, Andy experienced a lot in in his ministry, and probably the highlight of his ministry involved a a time about 10 years ago when the Wiccans decided they wanted to invade their little community of just a couple thousand people on the Illinois-Indiana border, and they were going to start a Wiccan school in that community. And Andy and other Christian leaders kind of rose up, and they, they tried to expose what's all that mean, and really tried to make a strong statement for the church, and in the process of that, the school decided to go to another location, but this kind of became not just a local story, it became a national story. I remember watching my friend on Larry King Live. I I have an article printed off the internet, front page of the USA Today, front page of the Chicago Tribune, and my friend Andy is quoted. He was kind of the champion. He was kind of leading the charge. And yet, unfortunately, shortly after that time, he found himself engaging in behaviors he never thought was possible. Now, his actions are too disturbing to detail on a Sunday morning, but I'll simply say this. The very students he had committed to serve in the name of the Lord became victims of indefensible behaviors. And so in kind of a plot twist after he was arrested and before he went to to, to federal trial and off to prison, he was housed as a federal prisoner in DeWitt County, Clinton, Illinois, and that jail is literally right across the street from my office. It takes me 90 seconds to get from my desk over to the jail. And so um, I was nervous. I, I didn't know what I was going to say. I, I didn't know what I wanted to say, but I said, I've got to go see my friend. And as I sat down on that, that hot summer day and I grabbed the phone and he grabbed the phone, there's that big piece of glass between us. Um, all I could really muster out was why, why? And his answer, I'll never forget, he said, Greg, in one word, pride. When I should have been on my knees in prayer and petition, seeking protection from Satan, I found myself taking spiritual victory laps. I started believing what others were saying about me. And before long, I started doing things I never thought was possible. Pride. Pride. Began my fall. God opposes the proud, but he gives absolute grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so let me ask you this morning, Proverbs 334, James 4:6, 1 Peter 5, life verse or just another silly proverb? As I wrap up our time together this morning, I want to do something I don't normally do with sermons. Um, I want to leave you with some questions to ponder. And you can ponder them now. I would encourage you to ponder them, you know, throughout the rest of the day and throughout the week moving forward in your life. Number one is this. Will you honestly assess your life? Are there areas in your life where trouble may be brewing where that terrible combination of pride and anger could, could ultimately get the best of you, could ultimately bring you down. I, I had this reflection last night thinking about this. Um, I've been a follower of Jesus, a baptized believer for, for 40 years, almost all my life. And I think people that kind of fit that scenario, and some of us here today, we fit that scenario, we're guilty at times of cutting ourselves an incredible amount of slack, spiritually speaking, but not really having trouble seeing the fault in others. We've been around Jesus for such a long time, we wouldn't even think that greed was a possibility in our life or pride was a possibility in our life or anger was a possibility in our life. We've tackled the big sins, we've got those covered, And we wouldn't even consider for a moment that maybe, just maybe, pride is a deal in my life, too. When you find success in your life, who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? One of the people that I love spending time with is a guy named Kevin Peterson from the Clinton area. works out at the camp. And not long ago, someone walked up to KP. After a pretty successful project on the campgrounds, they walked up and they put their finger uh, in his chest and they said KP you're the man. And he said, "No, I'm not the man, but I work for the man." It's humility. That's the kind of humility that we we hear from Jesus. When he said things, "I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many." And then finally are you open to honest conversations about pride? in your life, about you and pride. Last winter, I invited a couple of my friends from Clinton to go watch my son, Peyton, who's going to be a junior in high school, play basketball from Mount Pulaski High School, the, the Hilltoppers. And they came, and it was a Tuesday night, and it wasn't a very good game. Team didn't play very well, and Peyton didn't play very well. He's in foul trouble, and I didn't think a whole lot about it. I talked with Tim and Bob at halftime, but they kind of went on their way, and that was that. And a couple weeks later, Tim uh, came to see me, and he said, I, I need to talk to you. i love to talk to Tim. Tim Winthe is one of the most encouraging people in my life. Um, he's always got a good word, but he said, "You know, I need to bring something up. And I thought, me, Greg, I'm the pastor. What do you, what do you need to bring up with me? And he said, well, you remember that basketball game? I said, yeah, I kind of like to forget it. He said, well, he said, I watched you during that game as much as I watched the game. And he said, I gotta be honest, I didn't really like what I saw. What do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, well, you just seemed really disappointed you just seemed really kind of disgusted at times. And when the guy in the stripes blew the whistle a couple times, you looked downright angry. I was at the scores table working the game. And he said, Greg, if I, your friend, am seeing that, so is everyone else. And is your integrity as a minister, is your integrity as a Christian worth a high school basketball game? Man, when he said that, I gotta be honest, I didn't wanna hear that. And I found myself kind of clenching up, I found myself getting defensive. But you know at the end of the day, Tim, Tim was right. And I was wrong. And as much as I didn't want to hear that, I needed to hear that. Are we open to honest conversations about the problem of pride and ourselves? As I conclude this morning, I leave you with Jesus. There's no greater model. If you want to figure out how can I overcome pride, how can I put that in the rearview mirror, and how can I be more of someone that I'm supposed to be, look to Jesus, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And God, I thank you for the chance to... uh, to be at FCC Decatur, um, I love this church and I thank you so much for, for what you're doing in the life of this church. And God, right now we come to you and um, we admit that we're broken people. We admit that we're fallen people. We live in a broken and fallen world. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking when we hear accounts about France and Turkey and now a shooting in Baton Rouge. But this morning, our focus is on us. It's on our lives. It's on our hearts. It's on our countenance. And God, it's my prayer that as we conclude our time together, that we'll take into consideration just how how great King Uzziah was and how really hard his fall turned out to be. God, help us to never lose sight of the fact that you really oppose pride. You, you oppose those who are proud, but you give grace to the humble. Help us to be humble. Help us to be like Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.